This is Hacker Public Radio episode, 3574 Friday, the 8th of April 2022. Today's show is entitled, The File System and is part of the series DOS. It is hosted by Ayuka and is about 24 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is, we continue our look at the old warhorse, DOS this time it is the file system. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. This is Ahuka, welcoming you to Hacker Public Radio and another exciting episode in our DOS series. And what we want to do today is we want to talk about the file system in DOS. Once you begin creating files, after all, both you and the operating system need some way to keep track of them. How is this done? Well, in DOS, the answer lies with something called the File Allocation Table, which is abbreviated or acronymed as FAT. Now, to understand how this important component of DOS functions, uh, let's take a moment to look at how disks are organized to store data. Um, and I'm doing this from the standpoint of the what's called the FAT12 um, file system, which is the one that's used for disks in DOS. Now, each disk is divided into sectors. Uh, sectors are... 512 bytes in size. These sectors lie along tracks, which are concentric rings on the disk. Now, on a hard drive, these tracks have been created as part of the low-level formatting process and have been done at the factories. Uh, If you go back a long ways, we used to do low-level formats ourselves, but that has not been necessary for a very, very long time. Um, now, on an old floppy drive, you could conceivably use sectors as the basic unit for storing data, since the number of sectors would not be that large. On a 360K floppy disk, for instance, you would need to keep track of 720 sectors. Not a big deal. But, on one of those large hard drives, like 100 megabytes in size, you would need to keep track of 200,000 of these sectors with all the overhead of assigning addresses to each sector and storing information about them in a table. Also, 512 bytes is pretty small as files go. Most files would require multiple sectors to store their information, possibly hundreds of them. So, the sectors were collected into larger units called clusters. Now, the cluster is sometimes referred to as the allocation unit because it is the minimum amount of space that can be allocated to a file. For example, 
Suppose the size of a cluster is 4,096 bytes. In other words, it's eight sectors in size. If you have a file that is 3,000 bytes in size, it will be saved using one cluster, and 1,096 bytes of that cluster will be wasted. That is because only one file can ever own a cluster. If your file was 5,000 bytes, you would use two clusters, a total of 8,192 bytes, and 3,192 bytes of the second cluster would be wasted. Now, assuming that file sizes are a random number, you can quickly show that on average you waste one half of a cluster per file saved. So there's some incentive to minimize this wastage, and the best way is to reduce the size of the partition. The reason for this has to do with how cluster sizes are determined, and that leads to the whole file allocation table thing. Now, the file allocation table is a place on the disk where the information about the files is stored. Metaphorically, it is like the card catalog in a library. Um, well, of course, we don't have card catalogs in libraries anymore. Now it's all done online. But... Yeah, it's, it's, it's an index. It's all of the information you need to locate that particular sector. Um, now, it's a table that stores the name of each file and has a pointer to the place on the disk where that file can be found. Uh, it also has a few other things. Uh, these address pointer entries are stored as a binary number. And the number of bits used determines the type of FAT in use. FAT12, which is used for floppy disks and for hard disks smaller than 17 megabytes, should you ever encounter one, uh, stores the information in 12 bits per cluster. FAT16, used in DOS and in versions of Windows prior to the OSR2 version of Windows 95, stores the information in 16 bits. FAT32, introduced to some computers in Windows 95 OSR2, and in general to most people in Windows 98, uses 32 bits to store this information. Now, why does this matter? Because the maximum number of clusters is determined by the bits available to address each one. Since each bit is a binary 0 or 1, the formula is based on powers of 2. Note that in FAT12 and FAT16, a few of the theoretically available slots have been reserved for the use of the file system itself. In FAT32, four of the 32 bits at each address have been reserved for other uses, leaving 28 bits for pure addressing. So, FAT12, you have possible entries of 2 to the 12th power. That's 4,096. You take out the overhead, and what you have is 4,086, because 10 have been reserved for other uses. Um, FAT16 is 2 to the 16th. Well, that gives you theoretically 65,536, but in actuality it's 65,526. 
Now with FAT32, 2 to the 28th is actually the way this is calculated. Remember in FAT32, 4 of the 32 bits have been reserved for other uses. So 2 to the 28th is 268 million. <clears throat> and, you know, actual entries are about this, you know, the difference is negligible. Now with this information, we can begin to do some calculations on cluster sizes. On a hard drive formatted using FAT16, here's what you would find. Now note that these numbers are approximate since hard drive sizes are stated differently in some cases. Um, as you are probably aware, uh, you know, a binary megabyte is a little bit different from uh, a million bytes. So that's because it's using powers of two to do everything. So I'll, let's take a hard drive. I'll assume 5,000 files on a hard drive. Now note that the cluster size has to be in even numbers of sectors, 512 bytes each. So if you're doing the calculations, you'll need to round up to the next even multiple of 512. So uh, if the hard drive is 100 megabytes, your cluster size would be 2048. That's be four sectors. Your estimated wastage on 5,000 files would be five megabytes. Now let's say you had a 500 megabyte file. I mean, 500 megabyte hard drive. Your cluster size would be 8192, which is 16 sectors. Uh, your estimated wastage would be 20 megabytes for 5,000 files. Um, say your hard drive was 800 megabytes. Your cluster size would be 12,800 or 25 sectors. Your estimated wastage would be 32 megabytes. You had a 1.2 gigabyte hard drive. I couldn't even conceive of that back in the day. Uh, your cluster size would be 18,944, or 37 sectors, and your estimated wastage would be 47 megabytes. Now, on a large hard drive, the figure of 5,000 files is probably a drastic underestimate. And note that you need to throw in all the directories and subdirectories, each of which also uses a slot. And you can see why FAT16 is just not acceptable for larger hard drive sizes. Now, structure of FAT. Assuming you have a, a FAT16, FAT16 file system, you have 65,526 clusters available for use when you begin. Of course, installing the operating system is going to use up some of those slots, and additional programs you install uses up many more, so here's how the FAT is structured. Cluster 0 is reserved for DOS. Cluster 1 is reserved for DOS. Cluster 2, used to store a small file. Cluster 3, used to store data, extends to cluster 4. Cluster 4, used to store data, extends to cluster 5. Cluster 5, used to store data, extends to cluster 7. 
Um, cluster 6, empty, available for use. Cluster 7, used to store data, is the last cluster in the chain. Cluster 8, empty, available for use. So this is a typical thing that you might see, you know, if you could look cluster by cluster um, on a hard drive. So you have a small file that starts in cluster 2, and it extends to clusters 3, 4, and 5. Cluster 6, it skips over, and then cluster 7 is the last cluster in the chain. And then so on. You could have more files, more clusters as you go along. Now, in each slot of the file allocation table, there is status information. If the cluster is free, the value of zero is recorded. Um, if the cluster contains data, but all of the data fits in that one cluster, the cluster number itself is stored. If the data extends over multiple clusters, the number of the next cluster in the chain is stored. If this is the last cluster in the chain, an end-of-file marker is stored, and that's the hexadecimal number FFF. Now, ordinarily, you should not have any problems retrieving a file. The file allocation table would have a pointer that says your file, myfile.txt, begins in cluster 10,793, for instance. And would go there first and retrieve what is in that cluster. In looking at that fat entry, it would see the number 10,794, for instance, and know that the next cluster in that chain was 10,794, and it would go there and retrieve the contents of that cluster and append them to the contents of the first cluster. It would keep doing this until it had reached the cluster that had FFF stored, and it would know that this meant it had found the end of the file and could stop. Now, two things can go wrong with this. First, you can have a situation where two different clusters, each part of a different file, point to the same cluster as part of their chain. Uh, this is what's called a cross-linked file problem. The second problem is when you have clusters that appear to be part of a chain, but the whole chain is not present. These are referred to as lost clusters. When either problem is present, your file system is unreliable and must be fixed. Now, in early versions of DOS, you would fix this using the external command chkdsk.exe, which is short for check disk. This program would fix the file system by taking the clusters that were apparently part of a chain, called lost clusters, and converting them to a file, usually something like file0001.chk. If you see this on your hard drive, you can usually delete it safely, since it is probably something you cannot make sense of anyway. But if you want, you can try opening it in the text editor and can see if it contains anything you've been missing. Um, now, if you have cross-linked files, the check disk file will convert them to two separate files that are no longer cross-linked. Now, of course, at least one of them must be corrupt, since you cannot have two different files use the one cluster. In later versions of DOS, the utility changed. 
and checkdisk.exe was replaced with a new utility called scandisk.exe, which does essentially the same things. Now, because of this and other problems that can occur, each DOS file allocation table is actually duplicated as two consecutive duplicate copies. The first is the normal working copy, and the second is a backup copy that is used if the first becomes corrupted. Now, a related issue you get at is file fragmentation. Um, we, we don't pay a whole lot of attention to that these days because we have enormous hard drives. Um, but when hard drives were small, I think my first hard drive was 20 megabytes, as I recall, um, which at the time seemed enormous. But um, fragmentation occurs because when a file is deleted, the clusters it used are marked with a zero to indicate that they're available for use. The contents are not removed, though, which is why you can sometimes undelete a file if you act before those clusters have been reallocated to a new file. Um, now, when a file is saved, the operating system consults the file allocation table and begins saving the file in the first available cluster. If a second cluster is required, the next available cluster is used for that. But the second cluster may be nowhere near the first. And maybe a third cluster is required, and it's nowhere near the other two. This is file fragmentation. Now, this can reduce performance since the heads of the hard drive must travel some distance between each cluster to load the file. So, what we would do, and this was part of your maintenance for keeping your computer in good health, is to periodically defragment the drive. And that means to use a utility that moves the data contained in various clusters around so that each file uses a series of contiguous clusters that are not spread out all over the place. Uh, this also means updating all of the records in the file allocation table so that the file can be retrieved after the defragmentation has occurred. Now, DOS has an external command called defrag that can do this. And many utility packages, such as Norton Utilities, which was big in the day, had utilities for this as well. Now, in each file allocation table volume, right after the two copies of the file allocation table, we come to the root directory. Now, in DOS, this is represented by the symbol backslash. And, of course, in Unix, it is just the opposite, the forward slash. Uh, this is the top of the directory structure and is always created when the disk is formatted and FAT is installed. The word directory in this context actually has two different meanings. Technically, a directory is a listing of contents. But in common usage, we often use it to denote the container of the contents. For example, if you go into a large office building, there is frequently a directory in the lobby that tells you where you can find the particular office you're looking for. But that directory does not contain the office, it simply tells you where to find it. Yet in computers, we often use the word directory to mean the place where a file is located, rather than the table where we look up its location. This can get confusing. It's better to use the word directory to mean the table, 
and use a different word such as folder to mean where a folder or a file is located. Of course, on a deep level, these are all metaphors we use to help make sense of what the computer is doing. The computer never gets confused. It's just us poor carbon-based life forms that get turned around by all of this. Now, if we use the word directory to mean the table where we look things up, the root directory is a table that records the location of all of the folders on the drive and of any files that are not in one of those folders. Now, this table on a hard drive has 512 slots. And in each slot, there is room for a 32-byte entry. When a folder is created, that folder has a directory table that also has 512 slots, each with a 32-byte entry. It follows that each folder, from the root on down, can hold a maximum of 512 objects, where those objects are either files or other folders. The 32-byte description allows 8 bytes for the file or folder name, 3 bytes for the file's extension, and additional bytes that describe the attributes, whether it's read-only, a system file, hidden, archive, etc., the date created or last modified, and so on. In the last 4 bytes is stored the value for the starting cluster number and byte count number. Incidentally, the space reserved for the root directory on a floppy disk is smaller, so only 224 entries are possible. Now, because the root directory can only hold 512 entries, and modern hard drives typically hold many thousands of files, it is necessary that a directory structure be created. The mechanics of how to do this in DOS is the subject of our next lesson, but it is absolutely necessary. Periodically, someone will encounter a problem saving a file, and when you investigate, it turns out they were trying to save every file in the root directory and eventually ran out of slots. Now, with Windows 95 um, and 98, uh, it, actually the problem got a little bit worse because they introduced something called long file name support. Um, now, Remember that originally only 8 bytes were reserved for the file name. Um, and that made sense with DOS. You can use longer file names with Windows 95 or 98, but only by using multiple directory entries for each long file name. Uh, it is not unusual, therefore, to have a directory in, in Windows 95 fill up when only a couple of hundred items are stored if long file names are used. Now, that's the technical reason for creating a directory structure. There's also a practical reason, and that is that a good directory structure can help you organize your data in useful ways. Imagine a company that stored all of its documents in a document room. Every day, people would open the door, throw in a bunch of documents, and close the door again. One day, you need to find a particular document, so you have to go to this room and look at each document one at a time until you find the one you want. This will probably take you an entire lifetime to find, and is a really stupid way to save documents. Instead, you would create a file system using file cabinets, each divided into drawers, and in each drawer a bunch of hanging folders, and in each hanging folder several manila folders, and in each of them a number of documents. 
Then when you wanted to find a particular document, you'd look up in a directory to see which filing cabinet it is in, then read the drawer labels to see which drawer it was in, then read the labels on the folders, and so on, until you had the document. You might perform this task in only a few minutes if the filing system was logical. Well, this is what you want to do with your hard drive. Under the root directory, you create your top-level directories, which are the equivalent of your filing cabinets. Then, inside of each of these, you can create subfolders, which are drawers. And then, in each of these subfolders, you can create additional subfolders, which are the hanging folders, and so on. Then, when you need to find the memo you wrote to your boss in October of 1998, it will be easy to find it. So, with that, this is Ahuka for Hacker Public Radio, signing off, and as always, encouraging you to support free software. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.